This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Thank you so much for joining us again. Back in August, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission approved new listing rules on diversity and disclosure requiring companies listed on the NASDAQ to have at least two diverse directors on its board or be forced to explain why they don't. That would mean having one self-identified woman director, and of course you can see the problem with that description, and one director who self-identifies as an underrepresented minority or as LGBTQ+. Now, the National Center for Public Policy Research has filed suit against the SEC, saying it lacks the authority to put these kinds of quotas into place. And this is happening right as Senator Marco Rubio has introduced legislation that would aid conservatives in their legislative war against woke corporate executives. And we're going to find out more now from Scott Shepard, who is a fellow at the National Center for Public Policy Research and director of its Free Enterprise Project. Scott, great to have you with us. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing very well indeed, uh, Jen, and it's been a a fairly good week so far. I hope you're doing well as well. Yes, I'm glad to hear that. Yes, it's been very good. Now, take us back to this NASDAQ issue. I remember when this first came up and people were saying, oh, brother, you know, you need to have boards that actually know what they're doing, have great qualifications. We're going to make it all woke now. What was it about this issue that preceded it? In other words, why did NASDAQ even want to do this in the first place? Well, I mean, NASDAQ is moving in the same direction as, as a lot of our biggest corporations, unfortunately, which is to say hard woke. And, <laughs> right. you know, and, and NASDAQ, all of this wokeness is driven at heart by a fundamental rejection of the notion that human beings are responsible for their own conduct and their own futures and their own outcomes. But instead, that everything is, I mean, it's the opposite of Dr. King's. Um, teachings. It's it's that we are completely constructed by and controlled by uh, surface characteristics, be they um, uh, race or ethnicity or gender or sexual orientation, and there's nothing we can do about it, and it drives everything that we do. And so as a result, the only way to make things fair is to divide everything up in a spoil system by those categories so everybody has the same amount of money and everybody has the same amount of power. In other words, it's the concatenation of racism and socialism. Hmm. And, you know, we've had some some national and race-based socialism in the world before. We know how well that ended up. And of course, I'm not I'm not violating Godwin's rule or whatever that rule is that (laughs) that everything gets back to the Nazis in a couple of minutes. But what what is true is that what's motivating this is the notion that we have to racialize and sexualize every decision um, made uh, by every person everywhere and divide things up according to those categories. 
And um, and that's what NASDAQ's trying to do by setting up quotas and set-asides based on not merit, but but these surface characteristics that shouldn't be relevant at all. Oh, you're so right about that. So, for example, the rules require that these companies listed on the NASDAQ must disclose information about their board members, self-identified gender, race, and sexuality. Well, section, I mean, all of this is problematic, but what are they going to do? Go around the table and say... Uh, are you heterosexual, homosexual, bisexual, queer, uh, asexual, pansexual? I mean, this is insane. Is, is that not an invasion of privacy at the, at the outset? Yeah, it's weird that you have to talk about your sex life. You don't have to talk about your sex life at work to be to get a guaranteed spot on the board of directors. And what makes that even weirder um, is that you, the, the, the um, sexual orientation category includes membership in the queer community. But by definition, you know, the people who, who identify themselves as part of the queer community keep coming up with all these little sub subcategories that, yep. that make somebody queer, if, even if it's just, oh, I only uh, am attracted physically to people that I'm attracted to intellectually. Well, that's, that's not a subcategory of sexuality. That's just a functioning human being. Right. And, you know, but, but if that's enough to allow you to claim I'm a member of the queer community. Well, I'll tell you what, members of boards of directors make a lot of money. And if that's all I have to do to sign up, I'll, I'll, in, you know, indiscriminately, I'll t- t- give me a label. I'll yeah. put the cash. Yeah. And, uh, and there are an awful lot of people because it, the term doesn't mean anything who would happily say, all right, that's me. I'm that person. That's a good so it's point. All just a fraud. It's all just, it's, it's all just, um, uh, well, I mean, it's it's two things. At one level, it's a fraud so that they can look like they're doing their virtue signaling best. But on the other hand, it gets further into our bloodstream, into our system, into every decision. The idea that we're not individuals, but we're avatars hmm. of our race, which I mean, the idea that the left is pushing that as anti-racism just genuinely makes me want to cry. I know. I feel the same way. And I'm also thinking as I'm listening to you describe all of this nonsense that couldn't it conceivably be termed sexual harassment to try to inquire about somebody's sexual preferences? That seems to be walking a fine line there. And that would their ideology would run into each other at that point, it would seem. Oh, all of these ideologies run into one another. The thing about intersectional racism or intersexual victimization is that what you have to do to be the winner of that game is to collect the most possible number of victim statuses. Right. And so, you know, because all of this came out of uh, the academy, came out of faculty lounges where sense is never very strong, but, but tiny issues are, are really fiercely debated because not very much is at stake. It's the same thing here, except that there's a lot at stake. It's who wins, you know, uh, under their theories, if you win the victimization prize, you get more power and more wealth in the distribution than everybody else. So it's gotten really vicious. And the closer we get to this, the more there's going to be just absolute cat fights to be the most victimized. Yeah. Um, but, but, you know, if, if our side wins, then we'll just go back to looking at people as individual human beings and and not have to face that. Yeah, what a concept, looking at people as individual human beings. And and then I understand NASDAQ gives companies access to a list of board-ready, diverse candidates. So NASDAQ comes up with some possibilities of people who we approve to serve on your board. Are they not completely exceeding their authority here? I mean, they're a private company. They can do what they want. But at the same time, the SEC 
as you're saying in your lawsuit, lacks the authority to establish quotas per se. That's right. NASDAQ was was constituted to make markets regular, to make the NASDAQ uh, market function regularly. To propose this rule is completely beyond its purview. And then the SEC, of course, is a state actor. It's a it's an arm of the federal government. And we established, uh, well, I mean, not not we, the Supreme Court, uh, established as far back as 1945 that government actors may not um, take an action if that action ratifies discrimination on the basis of subject uh, suspect categories like race and sex and, and now newly sexual orientation. So everything about this rule having been approved is unconstitutional violates the um, administrative procedures act over over uh, rides uh, oversteps sec authority oversteps nasdaq authority this is one of the most lawless administrations we've ever seen and we keep seeing that again and again and uh, you know the 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 vaccine mandates on no authority and everything else it's one of the most lawless and most clueless administrations we've ever seen and this is a kind of esoteric subject but this is it's absolute evidence that they just don't care about what the law is yeah you're right and and also you're charging aren't you that this is impermissibly vague in addition to being unconstitutional and illegal what are you including in that category as impermissibly vague? Well, that gets back to you have to set aside a, uh, a, a spot for self-identified women <laughs> and self-identified ethnic minority. And so, but we've had all sorts of examples. Sean King, I think, is one fellow who's pretended for years to be black. So he could be because otherwise he'd just be a, a boring, you know, white liberal. So he's pretended to be black. But what? So I can just declare myself. I mean, I feel like was it Blazing Saddles, where the uh, um, the the sheriff was black and he just declared himself not to be. I, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. But <laughs> yep. but if that's the rule, and then the queer community thing, that term by definition cannot be defined. Yeah. So what in the heck are you talking about? Well, that's the it's, question. It's all just gibberish. It is gibberish. I'm glad you're fighting back. We're going to take a short break. We'll come back with Scott Shepard from the National Center for Public Policy Research. Stay with us on Janet Meffer today. This is Janet Mefford for Bible League International. Authorities in China are making life difficult for Christians. It's against the law to share Christ with children under age 18. We cannot preach to children under 18. That is their practice and law. But when the parents bring kids to the church, when you can teach them English and then you can send the gift of gospel to them, it is a great joy. Believers are teaching English to young people using a Bible League program that uses God's Word as the source of the reading assignments. And many are coming to embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior and sharing Him with their families. Please join Bible League in sending God's Word to Bibleist believers in China and around the world for only $5 per Bible. $50 sends 10, $500 sends 100. Call now, 800-YES-WORD, 800-YES-WORD, or there's a Bible League banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Thank you for your support. 
Every day, babies in their mother's wombs are fighting for life, with abortion being the leading cause of death. I already had my mind made up. I was like, I'm going to go through with it. The Ministry of Preborn has pregnancy centers nationwide standing by to help young moms in crisis choose life. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasound sessions in the country. By letting a mother see her baby in the womb and hear the baby's heartbeat, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. When I'm sitting there, the lady is giving me my ultrasound. She's like making these weird faces. She's like, it's two. I just start crying. I can't. And sometimes the blessing is doubled. Would you join with Preborn and Janet Mefford today to help save 400 babies by the end of the year? For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds and help save five babies from abortion. And now through a match, your gift will be doubled. To donate, dial 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. This is an important issue. It really is. When you go back to the NASDAQ wanting to have a requirement that companies listed there have two diverse, at least two diverse directors on its board, and then you had the SEC approve these new listing rules, it is important to have legal pushback. This is unconstitutional, it's illegal, and it's it's also impermissibly vague, as the National Center for Public Policy Research is arguing in this new lawsuit. Scott Shepard is with us, a fellow over there and also director of its Free Enterprise Project. Scott, this lawsuit now, where are you filing it? Where Where is this going from here? Because I know that there are also other lawsuits, are there not, against NASDAQ and against what the SEC has done? Yeah, that's, that's right. The first lawsuit, we're taking the administrative procedure issues in our lawsuit that SEC is over, over striding its authority that NASDAQ did as well. There's another case that was initially filed in the Fifth Circuit. Um, that's Texas and, and Mississippi and Louisiana. That... Um, that, that uh, raised the constitutional questions. It's unconstitutional to discriminate, you know, basic stuff that everybody knows, uh, except the Biden administration <laughs> and the SEC. And so, um, and so they filed in the Fifth Circuit. We filed for technical reasons in the Third Circuit, which is Jersey and Pennsylvania, but it's going to be moved down to the, um, to the Fifth Circuit and okay. the, it'll be heard down there. And that's great news because there are solid judges down there. Yep. Um, and if we draw a good panel, we'll get we'll get some some good thinking about it. Well, and the companies themselves can't necessarily be happy with this. I know we have a lot of woke corporate types these days, but are, are there a lot of companies that are also troubled by this development that the SEC has approved these listing rules? Well, um, officially, uh, no, they've been pretty quiet because you know the SEC has approved the rule and there are all sorts of other enforcement mechanisms that the SEC has and we have no reason to believe less than a year into this administration that it's anything but profoundly vindictive crazy right so if companies got out there and said this is stupid and illegal and unconstitutional and we, we don't want to do it then they would expect uh, uh, vindictive uh, enforcement actions from the SEC, and they'd also expect that um, that the SEC would well, and just the, uh, and their friends and allies in 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 uh, social media would stick the woke brigades on those companies yeah. and bring them all sorts of headaches. So you know wow. the, the collusion between this administration and Silicon Valley is so astonishing and so overwhelming and so illegal uh, and, and, and to some extent criminally illegal that hopefully a future administration will look into all of this, just like as I, as I saw um, 
uh, earlier uh, that that somebody's finally looking into the the Russia collusion hoax. Yes, and and finding that that ends up having been connected to the Clinton administration or the Clinton campaign, as everybody knew all along. So so maybe the future holds holds good things for freedom and bad things for for the people who are uh, wait, uh, stirring up this woke mob to go after both uh, companies and private citizens. Well, let's hope and pray. And that's why your lawsuit is so important. Something else I want to talk about is Senator Rubio's recently introduced legislation. This is called, I love this, the Mind Your Own Business Act. Tell us what this is all about, Scott. Yeah, it's a terrific piece of legislation. And all the kudos in the world to to Senator Rubio for getting uh, ahead of this and realizing that it just won't do for conservatives just to say, well, a corporate CEO said it was was wanted to do it, so it was fine, <laughs> my my property. Well, no, uh, companies that publicly traded companies, the property owners, are the shareholders, and when CEOs and boards of directors act against their interests, they're really acting in their own personal interests, which is to say they're doing their own personal policy preferences rather than what they're supposed to do under fiduciary law, which is to attend to the long-term financial best interests of shareholders in demonstrable ways. And so what this legislation would do, it would step in and say, all right, woke CEOs, if you want to grandstand, if you want a virtue signal, or if you really do want to enact your politics with shareholder money, okay, But you have to prove the burden of of proof falls on you to demonstrate that what you've done is genuinely, factually, demonstrably, objectively in the best interest of the uh, of the shareholders of the company, which it means the the objective long term value of the company. And if they can't prove that, then they would be held liable in their own personal pockets for all the damages that their political decisions cause cause to shareholders into the value of the company. And I'll tell you what, if that if something like that passed, whether federally or in the important uh, corporate states, that would be the end in a heartbeat of woke uh, woke corporatism because it's costing a fortune. There are lots of there's lots of independent proof that it's not a good business strategy or investment strategy. And there's increasing evidence that ESG investing, um, because it's been so hot, has created a bubble. Hmm, yes, and so the yes. companies that companies that go for, uh, for woke moves with the claim that it's, it's boosting their shareholder value. Well, when that bubble bursts, then if they're honest, they're going to have to say, no, we screwed this up. We made that bad decisions and we have to retreat from this. And if they're not honest under Rubio's legislation, they'd be bankrupted in their own pocket. Wow. So give us an example, just to kind of put skin on this whole thing. Give us an example of what CEOs might be doing that would, you know, the, the regular people would be empowered to fight back against the woke corporate moves that they're making. What kinds of things are going on specifically that require this legislation? Well, so some of the biggest um, examples recently are it fall into two categories. One is environmental, and the other is, uh, is essentially the new racism. The, the new racism cases, Bank of America and American Express and CVS and Verizon and uh, AT&T, all sorts of giant companies have been caught uh, telling their employees um, adopting racial equity theory that we were talking about earlier to their employees and telling white employees, listen, you can't expect, you work hard, you, you show a lot of promise, but you can't expect raises because we have too many 
older white people in positions. So we're going to give those positions out on the basis of race or ethnicity or sexual orientation or or other things. And of course, that's illegal. Yeah. But it's also terrible business. You know, you, oh, you yeah. want the best people in any role. You don't want you don't want to pick people on the basis of the color of their skin any more than you want to pick them about whether they chew bubble gum or not. It's yeah. just irrelevant. And yeah. then the other examples are companies that have made big promises about going carbon neutral by 2030 or 2035 or, or some date, which is a politicized date that comes out of the U.N., not because the U.N. is objective, but because the U.N. has an immense uh, political and, and uh, collective personal interest in uh, climate alarmism, because that is what gives it power and funding and authority. Right. Um, you know, and, and having companies uh, spend huge amounts of money to divest of carbon, in, including energy companies like Exxon, right. just allows those va- those uh, um, carbon plays. The, the, the carbon is not going to be ignored. We're seeing the disaster in Europe and China, and they're opening opening up old coal plants because they're not going to turn the turn the power off. So what's what's happening is that shareholders are no longer being able to invest in carbon um, plays, but private equity um, uh, investors and governments, which is to say rich people and governments are. And that violates every imaginable premise of what it means to be a, um, a corporate executive and have responsibilities to shareholders. It's just, it's obscene. Yeah, it really is. So is so if a CEO is running afoul of this law, if it becomes law, then they have to demonstrate, as you said before, that objective research shows that what they did was valuable to the company. Now, what happens to these CEOs if they run afoul of this? What kind of things can shareholders do to rein them in? Do, I mean, sue them, obviously, hold them accountable in court. Is that the extent of what what Rubio's legislation would do? Yeah, Rubio's legislation would give a right to to bring lawsuits and it would be effective because it doesn't it's not a suit that requires uh, if if the uh, executives are found liable that allows them to pay with corporate money uh, to pay off the shareholders. Instead, they have to pay out of their pockets and the the, uh, damages could be enormous. And it would ruin even these uh, malefactors of great wealth that we have swaggering around pretending they're masters of the universe. Yep. And so it would change their behavior immediately. And uh, it's a great first start. I think we're going to have to see um, corporate regis- legislation from conservatives from the right in the next few years. But I think that that. Uh, Last Tuesday suggests that we're going to see that the yep. people are sick of it. Yes, they are, and feel very powerless. I mean, when you're talking about some of these big corporations telling white employees things like, "Well, you don't necessarily get as much money as you might want because you're white," these sorts of things. Didn't we deal with this in the Federal Civil Rights Act? You can't discriminate on the basis of skin <clears throat> color. I mean, it's just blatantly illegal to do this. It's amazing that in 2021 they're getting away with it just on a cultural level that people aren't rising up and saying this is pure racism you can't do this it's amazing yeah well i think that uh it has lasted as long as it has because american white americans get itchy anytime race is discussed and and um we're genuinely uh fairly nice people and so we don't want to talk about contentious things but we've been pushed so far and now they're talking about telling our kids that they're inherently evil and racist and i think we've had about enough yep. and um uh, the fight back's going to be 
fairly serious. I think another thing I'm hoping to see is some of these employees, there was just a case in North Carolina, the jury gave a, a hospital executive $10 million because he was told he wouldn't advance any further because he was white and there were too many white executives. $10 million for that discrimination. If we see a thousand cases like that across the country uh, with employees suing some of these horrible corporations for admitting that they're going to discriminate, then then again, that'll be a sea change. That'll be the end of that. It will be the end of that. Well, this is all very important work that the National Center for Public Policy Research is engaged in. You can check out more about this great organization over at nationalcenter.org. Scott Shepard, thank you so much for what you're doing, Scott, and thanks for the update. We really appreciate it. Absolutely my pleasure, Janet. Anytime. All right. You take care. Thanks again for being with us. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Heart for Lebanon. God is using Heart for Lebanon to bring practical assistance and the gospel to the stricken refugee families in Lebanon. For a gift of $116, you can give a child and his family survival essentials for four months and the hope of Jesus Christ, which lasts forever. Call now, 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Psalm 1 reminds us that the man who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. It is so key to reflect on that imagery of a tree describing the life of the godly because it reminds us of the importance of roots in the body of Christ. Every Christian throughout time is connected to the Lord and we are connected to each other, of course, through the good news of the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, Christian artists and hymn writers, Keith and Kristen Getty understand the importance of roots, both spiritual roots and musical roots, and they are out with a new album. It's called Confessio, and it actually takes them back to their roots in Ireland. We're so glad to welcome back to the show Keith Getty. Hi, Keith. How are you? Hey, Janet. I'm privileged to be on the show and excited about Confessio Irish American Roots. Tell us about the new project. I know you made it during some very unusual times, but this is a very fascinating thing that you've done going back to your history in Ireland. That's right. Well, I, I should also apologize. I got out to the I got out to the, the, the balcony in the place I'm staying just to get some nice peace and look at the sea and talk to you. And a guy below me just just started started literally just started talking. Okay. Started with a drill. That's right. No, we um as uh, as you know, we were speaking to you last year. We uh, during the coronavirus, we started the the family hymn sings. We launched the song Christ for Hope and Life and Death, and all that led towards Sing Global. Well, a week after Sing Global, we decided just to go home to Ireland for a year, and it really was the most beautiful season of our lives. Um, there's definitely something to be said about slowing down. There's there, there's not much in life that is holier or healthier by speeding up. And yet, if you saw our daily life and how we conduct our lives, you wouldn't think that sometimes. Mm -hmm. So it was good for us to slow down. And uh, and we went back to Ireland and we walked the beaches in the north coast of Ireland and uh, reconnected with family and did a lot of studying of Irish history and our music. And uh, and really, really this album is just an outpouring of all those things, you know. So Confessio, 
uh, Christianity was brought to Ireland, as you know, by St. Patrick, right. um, who also was a hymn writer. He wrote the Confessio, and he wrote the Breastplate. And so just thinking of the, our own, getting back to our own roots of the gospel and the great hymns that we learned, getting back, as you said, and then getting back to our own roots and thinking that the country we come from has 17 centuries of Christianity. And for significant parts of that time, was was the country per 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 capita that sent the most missionaries to the world, but in particular the connection between the Irish and the Scotch Irish hmm. who came across to America, and I think I think they're still the biggest people group in both the Midwest and the South in, in the broader Bible Belt, and thinking of how our faith <coughs> influenced American faith, and thinking of how our music influenced American gospel songs and hymns and Appalachian and bluegrass and Americana and country music. And, and so the, the whole thing was a really, a really special project. Well, that is so neat. And when you mention St. Patrick, everybody will know who St. Patrick is, but maybe aren't so familiar with the confession of St. Patrick, which is the inspiration for the title of your album. What can you tell people about that specific title and why that is why you labeled your project what it is? Well, we labeled the project what it is, but it's the Confessio, I say, was the first Irish hymn and led to all these Irish hymns and uh, through the centuries. But also the Confessio, really, really these hymns, they are confessions. A lot of this project, we, we, we went back to a lot of the great hymns that moved our childhood. You know, so When I Survey, sung to that Irish Appalachian melody, right. and both the Irish and Appalachians claim water is wide. And so When I Survey, I beat on my vision, which was a which is a confession. Um, um, and I guess in Christ alone, my hope is found, is a confession. Um, um, it is well with my soul, um, is, a, is a confession. And so, so the, the amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, that the people of Donegal in Ireland say Newton wrote there. You know, So all of these things are, are, are confessions. And so I, I think... I think, it's, I think that really was the theme of the project. It was, it was, it's our history. It's our history. It's the great hymns of history. It's, and then it's hymns that we have written to help pass on that promise. That is so neat. When you talk about the hymn, it is well. People will know that hymn very well, of course. But this is also part of a new movie, isn't it? An upcoming movie on Sabina Wormbrand. And people will be familiar with her and her husband, Richard, uh, the founders of Voice of the Martyrs. Can you talk a little bit about that project and, and being able to be a part of that? Sure. I mean, the, 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 that's an incredible movie. Obviously, um, the, the significance of it is Richard and Sabina Wormbrand were, were Romanian Jews who um, were agnostic and really just lived the good life, um, pretty immoral lives, um, very successful lives as well. And one, a, a chain of things happened. They started to study the Bible, and then one night they visited a little church, and the people are singing in Romanian, It Is Well With My Soul. And so to mark that, the movie ends with a, a video of my wife singing it as well with my soul. Nice. Um, it's a stunning video. You can watch it on YouTube. If you, just, if you just Google it as well, Getty, you'll get this wonderful, or it as well, Sabina Wormbrand. It, it'll, it'll, um, it will, you'll, you get to watch this incredible video of Kristen singing it in, in, in the north coast of Ireland, one of the most beautiful beaches. Um, uh, by Mussenden Temple, um, but it, it, it's it's an amazing it, it's an amazing story. Obviously, to me, it's a it's a deeply moving story because because uh, Horatio Spafford, who wrote the hymn, was a was a hymn writer and a businessman who had four daughters, and it was written in response to losing those daughters. Um, so it's a very moving movie. And then, of course, that that hymn around the world has led people like 
like Richard Wormbrand to Faith and the amazing impact that that's had. But and that and that movie's actually on next week in America. So if you Google nice. Sabina Sabina the movie, you can go and watch it in your hometown, bring your family and and friends and whatever else. Well, they're incredible Christians. That's that's wonderful. Thank you for that. And as I mentioned, the theme of roots is very much a part of this album. What is the biblical significance of that theme for you? Because you talk about roots obviously being important as Christians, going back to our roots in Christ and our roots in Christians who lived in former ages, including in Ireland, but then also the roots that we all have. We want those roots to continue on to our children. Can you speak to that a little bit and, and maybe keeping your children in mind as you're making this album? Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, obviously, primarily, it is it is the rootedness in the gospel and getting back to basics and how slowing down in life, why why a Sabbath is why our Sabbath is so important on a Sunday, why why times away, why Christ always took times away because slowing down helps us prioritize, yes, um, and is so vital for that. I think that's the first thing, but I think the second thing was that I remember one day I was sitting in the north coast of Ireland. I was up in a little town called Ballycastle, looking across at the Mull of Kintyre, which is part of Scotland because Scotland's only 13 miles away. And uh, I, be- I actually just began to cry because I've been studying so much of Irish history and I realized that all these farmers and tradesmen and pastors and teachers and businessmen and mothers and doctors and professionals and who had, who had faithfully passed their faith onto their children for 17 centuries and that that is of prime importance in our life. We can't save anybody, but we have this responsibility to pass on our faith to these four, for Christian and I, it's these four little girls that we have. Yes. And that is that is of critical importance to everything. And it doesn't surprise me that Kristen and Sandra McCracken wrote this song, Pass the Promise, which really symbolizes that and really has become kind of the theme song for the record. Yeah. And uh, so it's been quite, ex- it's been sure quite exciting because that, that really is, I think, I think the ultimate challenge. You know, we live at this moment in history where it's more exciting to be a Christian globally than it has ever been in the past. There's more Christians in the world. The Bible is in more language. Uh, connectivity allows so much opportunity for evangelism. But at the same time, the challenge for us, especially in the West, is so great, Janet. It is. And uh, yes. raising children is so terrifying. Ugh. And uh, yes. so I think that's, that, that really is at the heart of the project. Well, that's wonderful. I was thinking back about you guys because the first time I met you, you were in studio with me years ago and Kristen was yeah, pregnant yeah. with your first child. <laughs> and I remember yeah, saying, yeah. I have four and you guys kind of got pop-eyed at me. Well, now you understand, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's four legs in a chair, but you know, you're never, I think we're definitely four no more. I'll tell you that. Oh, but, wow. Well, but, that, but you know, it, it's, the joy, it's the joy of our life. But it is, I mean, every day, every morning you wake up and you discuss the latest challenges, and uh, it makes you holier and humbler, and more more needing of prayer every day. But, but it also it's you know it is. I remember talking to Alistair Begg about kids you know, once and said, you know, what advice do you have for raising children? And he goes, well, the first thing is they're sent to make you holy, and it is. I think it is true. You know, you, you each day you learn more and you get down on your knees more, and yeah. and. Uh, but it's exciting too. Very good. The name of the album, yes, Confessio. You can check out more. Gettymusic.com is the website. Keith Getty, say hi to Kristen. Thank you so much for stopping by, Keith. Janet, thank you for the privilege. Thank you. You are welcome. God bless you. And we'll be back on Janet Meffer today.
The U.N. has called what's happening in Lebanon the worst humanitarian crisis since World War II. COVID-19, political upheaval, a crumbling economy, and two million refugees, children and their families, living in poverty and despair. But in the middle of it all, God is at work. More Muslim-cultured people than ever before are putting their faith and trust in Jesus. And through your generous support, Heart for Lebanon is being used to bring these hurting people from despair to hope. A single gift of $116 helps bring a child and their family survival essentials and the hope of the gospel, which lasts forever. $348 cares for this family for an entire year. We have a goal to take over 50 families off a waiting list that desperately need our help. So we're hoping you'll be as generous as you can when you call 888-247-5499, 888-247-5499, or there's a Heart for Lebanon banner at JanetMefford.com. Thank you. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now, 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. I am always mindful of how important it is for us as Christians to spread the gospel until Jesus returns. And it could be any moment now. My daughter is constantly reminding me of that. Jesus is going to come back any moment, mom. And I said, that's exactly the way we need to be thinking. And it is the way we need to be thinking. We don't know how much longer we have here in our earthly dwelling. And that's exciting on the one hand, but we also know that the Lord has allowed us to survive as long as we have and for this earth to exist as long as it has because he is not slow about his promise. He wants everyone to reach repentance. He is giving people time to repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is why I'm so excited about our great partnership with Heart for Lebanon. And we really need your support right now. We are trying to get 52 families off a waiting list in the Muslim background dominated refugee camp of Lebanon, where Heart for Lebanon does its work, they are on this waiting list to get help. And there are hundreds and hundreds of families who come as refugees from the Syrian civil war into Lebanon to find a place to stay. You can't believe the conditions in which these people are living. And that is where these Christians are. And they are spreading the gospel to these families. They are coming to Christ like you wouldn't believe. They're getting discipled. They're going to Bible studies. They're starting in church. The kids are getting a Christian education. And the way they do this is they make sure that at the very outset, these families have the practical help that they need. And that opens doors. These Muslims who are not used to this kind of treatment say, what's different about you? And then they share the Lord Jesus with them. And this is so exciting. It's it's just a revival of sorts 
sorts and and really a, a gospel response that is not happening here in the same way. And and we've got to remember that the Lord is working all over the world. And in some places, he's working much more miraculously among the hearts of people who are open to hearing the good news. I want to play for you a little bit of an excerpt here. This is a, a comment from a man by the name of Malid, who works for Heart for Lebanon over there in that country. And he talks here a little bit about what the Lord is doing in the lives of these Muslim background refugees. Listen to cut one. When we look at uh, the Syrian crisis, it hurts us. It breaks our heart. But at the same time, we, we look at it as an advantage to, to see more followers of Jesus Christ. Now we are talking of hundreds of people are coming to the Christ through Heart for Lebanon ministry. In our Bible study uh, sessions, we have average of 200 ladies are coming in a regular basis in a small part of Lebanon. We have 48 ladies from a Muslim background are leaders having small groups in their homes studying the word of God. We have men are coming every Friday at studying for two hours the word of God, praying together, encourage each other, and also delivering the message to their kids, to their family members in different parts of the world. For example, we have uh, Ammu Jalal. Ammu Jalal is used to be a teacher in Syria. He used to be a principal of school. Now he's discipling his uh, kids who's living in Turkey in the other part of the world. Amu Jalal has his own group in home reading the word of God, meditating, reflecting, and also empowering other leaders. These people will go back to Syria one day and they will rebuild Syria. Heart for Lebanon is equipping them. Heart for Lebanon is preparing them to the future to lead. This is what is so exciting about it. Not only do you have all of these people from Muslim background coming to know the Lord, studying the word of God, growing in their faith in Christ, but if and when Syria calms down and the civil war comes to an end and they're able to return back home, which is what the majority of them want to do, think of the impact of hundreds, if not thousands of new Christians going back into Syria. Can you imagine the impact these people are going to have? And this is why we are asking for your support. Your investment of $116 is going to help one child and his or her family receive four months of survival essentials and they will hear the gospel, which, as we know, lasts forever. Now, you can also help with a gift of $29 a month. It's up to you. But if you could support the cause right now, you will be helping some of these families get off the waiting list. And as you can see, it's all a gospel endeavor. So this is the number to call. If you can help, please do. We're almost to our goal of 52 families. 888-247-5499 is the number to call. 888-247-5499. Or there is a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Thank you so much to all of you who have given and supported the great work of Heart for Lebanon. I want to shift gears just briefly to talk about the fact that now we have Biden's vaccine mandate nailed down. According to Reuters, the president will begin enforcing the mandate that private sector workers will be vaccinated against COVID-19 or be tested weekly starting January 4th. This is just so insane that this is happening on so many levels. The idea of forcing people to take vaccinations. Can you imagine if Trump were doing this? What kind of organized 
opposition would occur on the left. You better believe the left would be marching on the Capitol. You know they would. If Trump had had dared to do this, they'd be taking out all of these monikers that they used to throw at him about being a dictator. You don't hear about Biden being a dictator. But here's something interesting. This appeared over at the Heritage Foundation, and I think it's very important for people to keep in mind because we do get a lot of emails about vaccine mandates. What do I do? For one thing, if you go, for instance, to Liberty Council's website, they have information there. We've done an interview before on this topic where they have examples of letters that you can use to craft your own letter, you know, getting a religious exemption. So you can go over there and you can look at what they have there. But from this particular article, they're making a legal argument here that the Occupational Safety and Health Administration in requiring 80 million working Americans to get vaccinated doesn't have the legal authority to do it. Here's what they say, and this is important, and there are a number of other things that they make, some important points that they make in this particular article, but they say the courts will almost certainly strike it down. And here are a few reasons why. Congress did not place vaccines within OSHA's purview. OSHA is establishing the vaccine mandate through an emergency temporary standard. Can you imagine we're in an emergency almost two years after the beginning of the pandemic. How could anybody reasonably call this period of time an emergency with a straight face? This highly unusual process allows OSHA to bypass public notice and comment. How convenient. Federal agencies, including OSHA, typically must submit major rules to public scrutiny before finalizing them. So they just skirted that. They don't care about you. These are the same people who don't think parents ought to be involved in their kids' education, a la Terry McAuliffe. So keep in mind, these people are dictators. They love totalitarianism. They want to crush your freedom at every turn. To take the emergency temporary standard shortcut, the agency must persuade a court that workers are in grave danger and that it is necessary to protect them against that danger. The grave danger that an emergency temporary standard must address must come from exposure to substances or agents determined to be toxic or physically harmful or new hazards. A toxic substance or agent is a poisonous element or compound. A substance or agent can be physically harmful because it's flammable, explosive, or carcinogenic. The danger a virus causes, by contrast, derives from its ability to replicate within a living organism. Now, Congress created OSHA to promote workplace safety. They look for hazards that will harm employees like stored chemicals or, you know, ill ventilated workstations, things like that. Vaccines against viruses are an entirely different form of protection are beyond the scope of OSHA's mandate. That's the first thing. Congress, uh, Congress tasked the Department of Health and Human Services with determining the safety, efficacy, and appropriate use of vaccines. So keep that in mind. They also say Congress did not give HHS the authority to impose a general vaccine mandate. Congress, remember them? They're the ones who are supposed to be making our laws. Now we just go right to executive order and let the bureaucrats handle it because that's how we apparently run the United States. I'm completely against that, regardless of who the president is. I really am. I'll do a show on that sometime. While HHS has regulatory jurisdiction over vaccines, it has no power to impose a general vaccine mandate. If it had, the president would have directed HHS to tell employers to require their workforces to be immunized. And if Congress did not authorize the agency it empowered to regulate vaccines to mandate their use, which would be HHS, OSHA certainly lacks that authority, right? If Congress had authorized a mandate, it would not have encrypted it and concealed it in an obscure subsection of the OSHA statute. Congress does not, as then Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia wrote, hide elephants in mouse holes. 
Defenders of the mandate will note that OSHA has established standards regulating bloodborne pathogens like HIV and various forms of hepatitis. Nurses, medical technicians, and others must follow those standards when they draw blood or start IVs, for example. But these are distinguishable from the proposed vaccine mandates in a couple of ways, one of which is that OSHA followed a notice and comment rulemaking process and didn't resort to an emergency temporary standard. Secondly, Congress took the extraordinary step of rewriting the regulation in 2001, leaving no doubt that it intended for the agency to exercise that authority. So legally speaking, they're on bad ground and the courts likely will overturn what Biden is doing here. These people need to be held accountable. And I hope and pray that more individual states are going to be standing up and protecting their local businesses from any vaccine mandates. This is utterly un-American and flies in the face of all the freedoms that we have enjoyed as American citizens. Stand your ground. Thanks for being with us here on Janet Meffer today. It's always a delight to have you here. We really, we really mean that and we really appreciate you. God bless you and we'll see you next time.